Welcome to Energy Talks, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes and talk to the people powering the energy sector. This week, I'm joined by Alex Haynes and John Carpenter, where we're going to be talking all about hydrogen. What's the biggest topic going to be in 2023 and will it disrupt the energy landscape? So sit back, grab a cup of tea, coffee and enjoy this conversation. Alex, John, thank you so much for joining me here today. And today we're going to be talking a bit about hydrogen. Awesome. Great to be here. Thanks very much. Thanks, Darren. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So I'm going to start with the big question first. So it's been a lot about, we've talked about colours and that, but I feel like that's over now. So what do you think is going to be the biggest topic in hydrogen in 2023? I think I, I can start by saying getting some projects actually into delivery. Um, it, yeah. It's almost been a bit of a, a kind of phony war for the last couple of years. There's been lots of talk, lots of MOUs, um, lots of bits of kind of engineering and concept work. We've been doing a lot of kind of concept pre-feed, feed engineering but the, the projects haven't actually got into that delivery phase. So I think the uh, the topic of conversation this year will be very much, how do we get these projects really moving, get them through FID, start putting some concrete and steel in the ground. And then the challenges that all of that will start to uncover uh, when we start building these things out for the first time. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it has to, we have to start building these things. It's too much talk. It's the fuel of the future. There was a, yeah. uh, John and I always laugh, there was a joke at COP 27 in Egypt where where someone said said to the uh, interview I'm sorry I couldn't hear your question but I know the answer is hydrogen and <laughs> and it, and I think that sums up the last couple of years quite a lot there's so many blog posts and and MOUs and discussions but no one's actually producing anything yet and yeah. uh, we need if, if we're going to get to net zero and hydrogen is one of those energy vectors that we think is useful then somebody's going to have to start producing it in a low carbon or zero carbon way and actually have people use it. And, yep. and hopefully we're on the forefront of that in some of our projects here in the UK and, and globally. So what do you think is going to make, what's going to turn the tide? What's it going to, people say, right, we've, we've done the talk and what's going to make them tip the balance now to actually get into delivery? So I'll, I'll talk about the, so there's, there's one bit which is really helpful. And then I think Alex will pick up the baton on, on some of the kind of financing side. So... <laughs> Governments have a really key role to play in the energy transition in general. So the technologies that we're looking at are new. We haven't done this before, and particularly we haven't done this at the scale that we need to do it. We need to change the whole kind of energy infrastructure of the planet in about 30 years to have any chance of getting us to net zero. So governments have got a really important role to play in kind of catalyzing that. So, you know, particularly developed Western kind of governments putting down uh, funding, putting down incentive mechanisms or taxes, kind of disincentives. Uh, to get this thing moving. So in the UK, in Europe, in America at the moment, um, you know, we're seeing schemes come into play, the, the Inflation Reduction Act in, in the States, the new Green Deal that just came out a couple of days ago uh, in, in Europe, um, that will start to put funding into these projects, make these projects kind of economic and, and provide that kind of underpinning so that they can actually start to get this away. So I think that that's one one really big thing we need to see to, to get this going. And once once you start getting some volume into the market and there's more kind of understanding of how it works, then there'll be more comfort. Um, and then other projects that maybe don't have that in some other markets um, will hopefully be able to get away as well. But then the other problem is, is you know, what do you pay for this stuff? Yeah, yeah that, that um, so the government regulation helps, right? Yeah. Because that can often, with grant and subsidies, that can often help set that price. Mm. But we're seeing small smaller projects, maybe not the big export projects, also struggling in understanding what their long-term offtake price should be. Yeah. So if you're setting up a project here in the UK and you want an offtake for 15 or 20 years, 
what price do you pay for that hydrogen in 2035? Yeah. What what's the market rate? And because it's a new energy vector, it's it's not it's not easy to estimate. And we've had clients who've gone out to two different um, uh, uh, professional services that will estimate the price and come up with two different answers. Yeah. So how can you then negotiate your your long term agreement with your offtaker if, if there isn't agreement on what that value is? Yeah. And there's so many unknowns on on you know, the actual cost of gas, the cost of energy, whether there's a premium for it being green or if it's a different colour or you know, what what level of carbon it's got in it, uh, depending on taxes. So it's proving very challenging. Where where we're seeing these projects go quickly is when it's displacing an internal fuel source. So where you're using fossil fuels, there's a uh, and you want to displace that directly with with green hydrogen or low carbon hydrogen. Um, then, then you can make that decision if it's relatively small scale as a business. Depending on your ESG goals, your shareholder value, maybe your first mover in the market as a premium because you're selling a green product as opposed to a, a, a grey product. And, and I think that's where we'll see those first movers go quickly, where they can control that long-term pricing internally. What do you think are the main challenges associated with the widespread adoption as hydrogen as an energy source? What can Petrofac do? What can industry do? And what's what's really holding us back? Hydrogen is not a silver bullet. Right? It's one of a number of, of, of routes. Whether you use it for transport, and there's lots of debate about that. Yep. I, it's, it's, it's going to be, we're heading towards a fragmented energy system so we've been spoiled right we've had this this one one solution fits everything isn't it wonderful and it has been you know a great driver of economic prosperity however the the back you know, the back story is it's also driven climate change yeah so so how, how do we keep that energy um, price down how do we keep it uh, accessible for everyone there's still billions of people on the planet who who don't have access to to any kind of energy you know heat and light uh, for their home, so they can study. The kids can study at night, or they can yeah. eat their food. So how do we? How do we? Uh, I see a future where there's many different routes for low carbon energy, and a little bit like um, the cell phone revolution, where <clears throat> where part, large parts of Africa didn't get phones because the copper lines to go across to that small village or that that inland piece was wasn't worth the the cost. And then suddenly everyone had a cell phone and it was relatively easy to get access to phones. In fact, yeah. we've all got, you know, three or four these days, right? Everyone has more than one. So <laughs> yeah. I think you can find a, a, this fragmented, bespoke, and, and it's, it's, it's horses for courses, or, you, or you, you find a energy solution that works. So if, if you've got access to a geothermal resource where you can produce energy that way, then that might be the cheapest yep. thing for you. It might be solar. Mm. It might be solar plus a battery. It might be solar plus wind. And I think, and then in some industrial areas, it might be you know, ammonia, large-scale ammonia import or, or large-scale wind import. And I think we've got to get out of this this habit of, of looking for the one solution. And, and actually, the great thing is there's so many solutions now, and there's more coming all the time that can be almost bespoke to that area that can then be used globally. So I think you're going to see a, a wider range of different energy sources from a more fragmented rather than a, a, a central hub and spoke model. You'll have have this sort of cellular model. Uh, uh, and, and frankly, I think that's going to give us more resilience uh, because you can have multiple backups and multiple forms of energy coming into you. Actually, yeah. I think it's a really good part of the mix. 
but it's not the only part. Yeah. And, and I think we need to be cognizant of that. And just going back to, you know, where, where does it make the most sense to, to use hydrogen? Well, it's, it's displacing mm. the hydrogen that's already there. There's already a kind of million tons a year of, of hydrogen used in, in refining in petrochemical and kind of hydrogen hydroprocessing uh, in fertilizer. That's probably the other kind of major use mm. today. So if, if we can just decarbonize all of that, that's probably one, one and a half, two percent of global emissions straight away. And it's, it's displacing exactly the same molecule. It's just a lower carbon version of it, um, which is just the fundamentally the best thing to do. Um, most of the other applications do need some upgrades, whether it's a drivetrain in a truck or a train or, or a boiler tip in your boiler at home. Um, you know, there, there needs to be some kind of upgrading to, to make use of the hydrogen. Um, but just on ice, one of the other drivers we're starting to see is also around energy security, that resilience that hydrogen can give you as an alternative uh, fuel source, particularly with everything that's kind of happened in the Ukraine. You know, we're, we're starting to see clients really waking up. And, and this is obviously the big driver for Germany, for example. You know, how can they get energy um, from another source? And you know, hydrogen, particularly if you can transport it around as ammonia or methanol, um, allows you to bring in electrons effectively. From places in the world where they've got lots of great uh, renewable resource um, and then transport those electrons in the form of hydrogen um, or its derivatives uh, over to Europe where, where they're fundamentally short of energy um, and mm. you know that's going to be I think a big 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 driver kind of going forward it's not just the, the decarbonization which is you know, fundamentally required as well but you know energy security is becoming a much bigger driver of this too. You're seeing, you're seeing this huge build out of wind in um, Europe certainly in the UK and, and you've got Scotland and all the rest of it and, and actually far more wind energy can be produced probably yeah. will be produced because you're going to have to have over capacity for the days that aren't windy and so if, if it really is a windy day everywhere then the UK grid's going to fall over quite quickly and we'll have excess electrons so and the same in Europe so so yeah. if, if you can get everything electrified that makes sense to be electrified close by, then that's the most efficient way of doing it. And you're not, you're not paying the energy penalty of, of changing into a, a, a molecule. But then there will be certainly days, and I forget the number for, for curtailment in the UK alone yeah. last year, but it was, it was you know, billions or trillions worth yeah, of, of- Billions of pounds worth of curtailment. Of, of curtailment yeah. where they just yeah. shot the energy into the ground, right? Because we couldn't use it in the grid. Well, if you've made that investment and you can Quite simply, use that excess electricity and store it as hydrogen. Then that makes a lot of sense. And then if you can use that hydrogen locally to where you're making it, so you avoid the energy penalty of transportation, that also makes a lot of sense. Yep. So it's it's going to be iterative process. But yeah. but you know, as John as John said, you know, economic drivers and greed will will push us forward. And where where there's an opportunity, oh, I've got this asset or these electrons yep. that yep. at the moment I'm doing nothing with. What could I use it for? Yep. And then suddenly you start to produce hydrogen locally, and then it goes to the local bus service or yep. the local yeah. uh, um, you know, garbage trucks, whatever it might be, or the taxi firms. Then and you can suddenly make a buck or two on it. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you're going to get, as I said before, this fragmented approach um, uh, where where you get this sort of energy resilience and layering of different um, different sources. Which again is, is good news. Like it should yeah. make, it should honestly make it cheaper. For, for, for all of us. We've really moved on on wind and Petrofac's been part of that for over a decade now. So it's it's nice to hear that, like you see these two coming together. It's not just, oh, we've missed the boat because we've gone electric, but these hydrogen actually can almost act as a glue around it to cover all the gaps as well. <laughs> Cheapest forms of power anywhere in the world today are some of the solar plants in, in Saudi and the UAE. They're, they're talking about, I'll, I'll do it in 
in pence or cents, but it's kind of 1.3 cents a kilowatt hour. Um, you know, it, that's that's a phenomenally low price. Um, so, you know, the more of that you, you can build out, that starts to unlock, you know, really interesting things. The challenge, of course, is yeah. the sun's only on during the day and the wind blows when yes. the wind kind of feels like blowing. Um, but this is one of the advantages of hydrogen. You can turn, you know, when you've got too much wind or sun or, you know, you, you kind of overbuild so you can build a bit of um, extra capacity, you can turn those electrons into hydrogen. You can store that for longer periods of time, much better than a battery. Um, and then either use that hydrogen, which Alex was saying is the best thing to do with it, but if you need to, you can turn it back into electrons uh, when the wind or the sun, when the wind's not blowing or the sun's not shining at the end of the day. Um, so it, it's going to be a mix. As I said oil and gas is going to be a part of that future. We need to decarbonize that as well. So whether that's you know, carbon capture uh, kind of on the back of, of those facilities um, so we can capture some of the emissions. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a huge amount of work to do there. And you know, hydrogen is going to be very much right in the middle of all of that. Yeah, it seems like it's the opportunity is there. It's just how do we, yeah, how do we capitalize on that? And um, so what's the, we mentioned it at all, so what's, what's the main opportunities at scale uh, for hydrogen? How, how far does it go? I know we've said it's, it's a supportive one. How far can it go um, as an energy source? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really good question. And, and yeah, to a degree, it kind of, it depends on the different applications you see for it. Um, you know, when you look at the research, you said the energy transition is going to have lots of different solutions. It's not just hydrogen or just carbon capture. You know, there's going to be all of the above plus biofuels, plus electrification. Um, so it's kind of where does it play in, in the mix? And, and it's back to, you know, where's where's the hydrogen, the kind of most optimal solution? So he said displacing yeah. grey hydrogen uh, in refining petrochemicals, kind of fertilizer uh, is the obvious place to start, um, you know, in some of those hard to abate sectors, we can see it as a, as a really good use case. Um, so things like shipping, um, you know, today ships are, are burning uh, fuel oil. You know, some of the more mo modern ones are kind of burning LNG, but there's fundamentally an emission associated with all of those. You know, one of the, the use cases for those, you know, excess electrons we're seeing in, in very windy, very sunny places, so kind of Western Australia, Chile, Namibia, Oman, um, is actually converting that hydrogen into ammonia or methanol. Uh, and then you know burning that ammonia or methanol uh, in in the ships, um, and then using those ships to move the ammonia and methanol around, so that that kind of hydrogen, those electrons are able to be moved um, across the world. Again, shipping is two two and a half percent of global emissions, um, so that's that's a very material sector and one that you know you need a, a zero carbon a zero carbon fuel uh, to be able to to mitigate that uh, at some way. And certainly, ammonium is can be a, a zero carbon fuel. Um, and as someone was pointing out last week, particularly ammonia, it, it's almost infinite in how much we can produce. There's, you know, 79% nitrogen in the air. Um, and there's, you know, we've got loads and loads of water on our planet, fortunately. Um, and there's a lot of sun and, and wind and, and geothermal um, that we can go after. Um, so you put those, the combination of those things together and you've kind of got an unlimited supply uh, of ammonia. Uh, and again, ammonia we can use as a, as a fuel in engines. Um, you can actually burn it in power stations as well to create electricity. Um, so there's lots of other than as ammonia uh, in the fertilizer mm -hmm. industry, there's lots of other good things you can do with it too. It's a bit different to handle, but you know, there's, um, you know, we understand that it's not like it's a completely new, new molecule. Um, and those, those projects to get the economies of scale in those, you know, we were talking about, you know, the cheapest solar, but you know, those solar fields are, are kind of one and a half, two gigawatts a pop. That's a really big yeah. um, solar field. We're talking about thousands of, of square kilometers for some of these projects. 
you know, we're doing gigawatt scale projects uh, in offshore winds now. We're seeing multi gigawatt scale projects coming around Europe. Um, and then, you know, if you want to convert all of those electrons produced into hydrogen, you know, we're talking about multi-billion you know, dollar uh, projects at the end of the day. You know, th these are as big, if not bigger, um, than some of the biggest things we've done in oil and gas, but actually with no less complexity. Um, it's just it's, yeah. it's a slightly different makeup of the complexity. Half the project is is renewables. It's producing um, electrons from the solar and the wind. Um, and then half the, the, the other half of the project is turning those electrons into some molecules uh, and then kind of doing something with them, whether that's shipping or whether that's putting them into some other uh, process at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, the, the potential is, as a market is huge and, and certainly a potential for Petrofac um, is, is really big as well. And something we can see a really good use of all of our skills and experience uh, to kind of play into almost immediately. We're seeing, we're seeing hydrogen as a feedstock into SAP as well. Yeah. So sustainable aviation fuels. Uh, and again, if you can't use the hydrogen locally, then if you can uh, combine it with some CO2, which there is plenty of, mm. either biogenic or we're seeing it from cement plants yeah. or other emitters, and they can start, you can start to produce these e-fuels. So whether it's e-methanol mm. or, 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 or SAF. So again, a bit like replacing the grey hydrogen refinery, yeah. you can replace it in a, in a, in a new process. And, and there's a huge demand for SAF. Uh, hydrogen planes, mm. yes, I'm sure they can work at some point, but there's a lot of debate about that. But if you can use that hydrogen and mix it with CO2 and other, uh, to create the aviation fuel, well, we exactly we know exactly how to use that. It's, yep. a, it's, it's a drop-in fuel. It's a complete replacement. You can price it. Um, it's much easier. And there's huge demand from the airlines as they try to decarbonize. Uh, everyone's going on holiday in the year or business trips, whatever it might be. Yep. So mm. I think there's a there's value to it there as well. And that's why I think that, that hydrogen question, where is it being used? Yeah. It's mm. going to be, it's, it's going to sort of sort itself out because because yeah. the because the highest value use for it is where it will go. What makes Petrofac a good fit to drive these initiatives? We've been dealing with hydrogen molecules in refineries uh, for well over a decade now. We've been separating CO2 from natural gas streams for you know, probably three decades or so, particularly in the Middle East. Um, so we understand, you know, both of those molecules. Um, and then, as you said, in the last uh, kind of 10, 15 years, um, you know, we got into the offshore wind space. So actually, we really understand the electron side and the transmission mm. of electrons and the transformers and the, the system design there. Um, so when we, we looked at it, we're like, well, actually, we've got, you know, all, all of the, the engineering understanding, actually, a lot of the technical and project delivery skills and some of the operations and maintenance skills that kind of go with all of that already. The other thing that we bring um, that I think is being particularly um, valued by the, the customers in this space uh, is our ability to take a project from its earliest kind of concept phase and kind mm. of the sketch of, you know, I'd like to make some e-fuels and I've got a bit of CO2 over here and I've, I think I've got some sunshine and some wind um, and be able to take that from concept into the kind of front-end engineering design and then be able to say, well, we can we can build it for you as well. And actually, we're thinking about how we build it when we're designing it. And actually, not just that, we can operate it for you. And again, a lot of these... Uh, developers, customers, maybe they're coming from a utilities or renewable space, or maybe they're a, a cement business or an energy from waste business, and they've never had to run uh, a hydrogen plant or a carbon capture, a chemicals plant, ultimately, at the end of the day. Um, and so there's a lot of new challenges with that. So do you think that this is that hydrogen has a potential to disrupt the energies, the world's energy landscape now? Uh, this this energy transition is going to disrupt an awful lot of things that yeah. maybe we're not quite sure you know we haven't seen that impact yet we don't understand what that impact will be but it's going to be a fascinating time to be around yeah. uh, as as the globe sort of remakes itself in uh, under uh, under these new this new energy map yeah
I mean, it, it's a kind of democratization, decentralization of, yeah. of that energy system. We're already seeing some of those traditional energy players. You've kind of realized how this is evolving. So the Saudis, the UAEs of the world, um, you are their place in the world is as an energy exporter today. Um, yeah. And they've kind of quickly realized, well, actually, we've got a load of sunshine um, and in some places a little bit of wind as well. So you know, we can maintain our position in the world um, by you know, leverage. They, they're lucky they've got you know, supply chains, resource base uh, and understanding of how to do these big energy projects. And so they're moving very quickly to try and get their position and ultimately maintain their position in the kind of geopolitical pecking order of the world um, yeah. by kind of maintaining that that energy export capability. But, yeah, we're, we're seeing countries you know coming up in the world you know the uk who had you know dropped off really as a, a kind of hydrocarbon producer you know suddenly with the saudi arabia of wind um you know 25 yeah. gigawatts in one round in in scotland um you know there's you know two three four times that potential easily um mm. so you know what are we going to do potentially with all the, those electrons suddenly we're, we're in a, a much more interestingly kind of geopolitical uh, position potentially as an energy exporter again um, which you know we've not had that kind of position since you know probably the you know, early mid 70s yeah, imagine um, if we don't have to import energy ourselves again, yeah right yeah, so that has an impact yeah. on the government's yeah. finances right yeah very much so my final question um you mentioned mobile phones earlier on and i think i think my era but i'll, I'll do it in two tranches here so my era was a nokia 3310 that changed the game um yep. technologically and then for younger listeners uh the iphone changed the game again <laughs> just so we can get both i'm out- outing myself my age by saying nokia 3310 but so there's that moment in history where technology changes the game is there anything like that on the horizon you see in hydrogen that's going to drastically change the market within the next 18 24 months in the 18 24 month window i, I don't think there's anything that's going to be you know, completely game changing. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it, it's going to be understanding, you know, how do these projects become real? Uh, and then, you know, the game changer will be, be actually kind of seeing them come to reality. So the firming up of the commercial models, the financing models. So it, it goes from, you know, bits of paper to actually, you know, proper projects, steel, concrete in the grounds that's actually producing electrons or, or molecules. Um, and, and to a degree that that will be game changing. Um, you know, people will start to think very differently once they they see this become a reality and they can go and kind of touch it and feel it. And then you get kind of comfortable with it. So actually, it's it's, it's not so difficult to produce or move ammonia around or methanol. Um, you know, actually, there, there were suddenly these you know hydrogen fueling stations popping up all over the place. Um, and, you know, actually, I can get really good range of performance on a hydrogen HGV. Uh, actually, maybe I should I should switch my fleet over. And I, I think that that kind of the realization of this it kind of becoming a reality uh, will start to change attitudes and, and ultimately then kind of change behaviors so i think in the short term that's probably the biggest kind of impact i see that you know it will become real and suddenly people will really get behind it i think i think again because it's an unlimited resource solar and wind yeah. and and you look at these different suppliers it's much more competitive and i i truly believe the cost will come down yeah uh, and then you start to look at the, the cost of energy has been a traditional constraint in growth across the globe in every industry. Right? So imagine yeah. if you've got really cheap, in some some cases, maybe free or close yeah, to free yeah. electrons nearby you know, a, a substation. Yeah. You know, they've got these things they've turned into hydrogen and they're going to sell it to you cheap because otherwise it's just you know, given away or, yeah. or curtailed. 
So what, what could you do? What, what manufacturing, what, what industry could you build up nearby those those, those areas? And it may be, it might be somewhere near like Iberia or Namibia or, or Oman yeah. or somewhere where if you think about the petrochemical industry, you know, often in Saudi or places, you'll have fairly cheap access to gas locally and then they'll form a petrochemical plant next to it because they can get access to it cheaply and then they start to produce high value products which they can then sell. So it might be plastic bottles or yeah. fertilizers or, or fabrics. Imagine that now with electrons or hydrogen. Yeah. What, what yeah. industry, what growth opportunities are we going to see across the globe in new locations yeah. Yeah. where where the energy is re- is really cheap? And that, I don't think that's going to come yet. You're yeah. right. I think this would be right at the start of this change. Yeah. If you go fast forward sort of 20 years, 25 years, I think fundamentally some areas of economic growth and this de- you know, democratization of energy yeah. in a cheaper way should have you know huge growth potential for, yeah. for, the, for the human race across across loads of ways and we're doing it we'll be doing it in a low carbon manner or a zero carbon manner yeah. listen to you both speak today it's been uh, it means it's actually made me quite excited and i think the main word i'm going to take away from it is opportunity thank you so much for spending the time with me today thank also, you Darren. thanks Darren. Thank you. Thank you for sticking around to the end. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation between myself, Alex and John today. If you want to find out more about our new energy services, please head over to the website, petrofact.com and check out our other episodes that we have available too. 